0: You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Today we present part two of our Brewer's Guide to Streets of New Capenna. We look at 30 cards that could make an impact in Modern and Pioneer. That's all coming up on this edition of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show! Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast here on a beautiful Monday for part two of our brewer's guide to streets of New Capena. Join me today, all the way from Buenos Aires. You know him as Moored to Light. It's Emi Sagasti. Emi, welcome.
1: Hello. Hey, Dan. How is it going? Glad to be back.
0: Yeah, glad to have you. So, the full set is out. Yes. We talked about half of it on Friday. How are you feeling?
1: Uh, It's a mixture of, this is exactly what I expected, but I also wanted more. So, I'm Mm. not sure if it's just me wanting to complain. Mm. Like, a good magic player, you know? Like, I just want to complain that out literally both meanings. If it's too powerful, I would complain about that. And if now it's not powerful enough, so I want more.
0: (laughs) The desire to complain, like, needs to be fed. It's a hungry beast
1: exactly (laughs) but i still like i I still like the set i like the flavor i think some of the cards are particularly interesting i think some of the cards are particularly unintelligible and i have no way of understanding them but i like it good the the flavor looks nice the lore i gotta read the lore eventually but so seems like a positive set so far so with so far i mean we're all in all So, that's see. That's what I mean. Like it's. I feel like it lacks something. Like I need that bomb, that thing that just goes. Okay, this is gonna bust something in half.
0: In terms of the mechanics, I haven't reached any firm conclusions on that front. But the feel, the flavor of the set, I just. I think I wasn't prepared for it to be so modern, but specifically also like American modern.
1: It's, Italian. it's Italian-American, It's Italian like, literally based on everything you see in movies. Like, it's really movie-based, not, like, really mafia-based, which I think is fine in order not to hurt any sensibilities regarding the topic. But it's... Yeah, I get what you mean. It's a touch too modern in parts.
0: A lot of, like, capitalism and treasure vibes from it. And the fact that they're all wearing pinstripe suits. It's it's a little strange.
1: <laughs> I, I love Pinstripe suits, so I can't complain about that one. Like, I know you only see me, like, my... Sort of, I have pyjamas after I wake up to record, or I'm out to sleep, but if not, I just really love suits.
0: <laughs> All right, well, I, don't, I want to see you record in a Pinstripe <laughs> suit next time.
1: As long as everybody gets to see it, like, we just stream it directly, we just give the video to everyone. I'm not getting in a suit just for you, Dan, or we're going on a date. You got, you're going to buy me dinner for
0: that. <laughs> I want to see the me Mob Nixilis cosplay. That's oh, So good. New stretch goal, perhaps, for the patrons.
1: <laughs> well, how hadn't I heard Mob Nixilis before? It's so simple. <laughs> it's so perfect.
0: All right, so we got a bunch of cars to get to. Let's <laughs> stop dawdling around. Let's <laughs> actually get to the agenda. <laughs> we'll kick things off with some housekeeping. We have some new patrons we'd like to welcome, they are Alec L. and Bokebard. Thank you very much for joining the Patreon. Also want to give a shout out to Andre A. for going up a tier in their pledge, thank you very much. And a reminder that if you would like to support the show, the best way to do that is by joining our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. And that does a few things. I mean, First, it lends us some support, we really appreciate that. Everything from the Patreon we put back into the show, and it really means a lot. You also get some benefits. Joining any tier will get you access to our Discord community, which is a wonderful place, especially at this time of the year. I keep saying this time of the year as if it's a time of the year. It happens like five times a year. (laughs) Preview season.
1: (laughs) So five times a year, like every trimester, to say the least, it happens. So that time of the year, that time of that month. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Like, imagine if there was just, like, a Discord for Christmas, and Christmas (laughs) happened five times a year. (laughs) That's the Faithless Brewing Community Discord during preview season. (coughs) So you get Discord access at any tier, and we have other perks as well. If you go up to the higher tiers, we have merchandise, we have playmats. And from time to time, uh, you get to contribute directly to the show in the form of voting for cards and helping us choose what cars we brew next. And we actually have some exciting announcements on that front.
1: Yes, exactly. So we have been working with Dan on a lot of things. And the first one, I think the one that might have the biggest impact is that we're starting a YouTube Faceless Brewing channel right now called Faceless Gaming as a really, really fast just idea. Please give us better suggestions. And what we expect to see our next, what we're going forward is with three weekly uploads on Mondays, um, Wednesdays, and Fridays, giving you guys a a possibility to see what we will discuss during our podcast. Because I know just hearing it cannot really explain the synergies of a deck or the clankiness of it. So sometimes you're going to see a deck played by Dan that goes 4-1 in just the theory. But then you look at the deck and you will realize why Dan said during the podcast the deck sucked everybody, don't play it. But you just see the four one. This is going to give you the hindsight to see better into it. Actually comprehend what's going on. Or the same for me. I'm going to play a deck that I feel is amazing. And I'm going to sell as an amazing deck. But it went 2-3. And you will see why that was. Maybe I just suck as a player. Or maybe my draws were really bad. But giving you the possibility to see the decks we discussed. I think it's going to give you a lot more... A bigger amount of hindsight. Or actually knowing what we're discussing. Not just hearing us talk about it for like five minutes each deck and hoping it's enough. So that's the plan going forward. Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays, likely starting. Might, might be today, if not next Monday, you will see the second upload. Please tell us what you like, what you dislike, what you would like to see, if anything is specific. Any YouTube comment help, any YouTube on our Discord. You know how to get to us. And with these new topics we're introducing, it, every single piece of, of feedback is welcome.
0: Yeah, so getting on YouTube is something that, you know, we've talked about doing for a long time. If you want to like see us play the decks, you can often find Emmy streaming on his Twitch channel which is twitchtv like to light, like NivToLight, light, but with mord, m o r d e. But the YouTube channel we want to do something a little bit different. We want to try to innovate a little more, mix it up a little bit, experiment with the content. So, you'll find different stuff there. You'll find things that Are more condensed, more compressed gameplay. Uh, Some of them will be us talking through our plays. Some of them will actually be like deck text over replays. So it'll actually be kind of fast. If you remember our YouTube show Rogue Refinery that we did over a year ago now, actually, where we're talking about a deck and then you're just seeing the deck play through kind of sped up in the background. We'll have some stuff like that as well. And we're always open to new ideas. So yeah, this is absolutely something where we would love your feedback at any stage, whether that's on what we've done or on things that you would like to see, things you found interesting. Of course, likes and comments and subscribes—that all helps as well. But
1: oh, we're starting soon. We're starting soon with the like-making. like making. <laughs> like, I mean, on day one.
0: I just wanted to say that I don't have a YouTube experience, so I just want to say that once. <laughs> but more importantly, like, we're more interested in like the form of it right now, iterating and improving on it.
1: Yeah, 100%. Like, the the good thing about us going forward with a lot of new stuff is we are really open to the feedback you you guys gave us. It's not like we're set on stone on what we're doing. We're just opening the borders, exploring new frontiers, and hoping we will find stuff you will enjoy, we will like doing, and just grow our small, big community together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, YouTube content is coming, or is already there, depending on what day you're listening to that. We'll put a link in the episode description to where you can find the channel. Twitch, go follow more to light if you haven't already. What else is coming up, Emi?
1: So, besides that, we're also super heading our way into other social media. Before today, you could only find us on Twitter, but now we're heading forward on Instagram, which you will find Instagram already created. Just don't look much for it because it has not been particularly decorated yet. So you can find it, just don't find it yet. Find it tomorrow. You will find us on Facebook, where you will find the Faceless Brewing page, and maybe just maybe TikTok soon. Because how can us boomers join TikTok? Well, that's a mystery for us to find out during the next couple of days.
0: Us boomers, come on! You you have to earn being a boomer. I mean,
1: <laughs> oh, well, so now I'm getting okay. no, I'm getting back to being a zoomer. I'm not gonna get disqualified yeah, for being a boomer. Like being a boomer is the bad side of it. I'm not getting disqualified for it. I'm sticking with the zoomers. It's easier. I'm not getting disqualified of being a boomer. I'm not... It's like saying, no, no, you, you you can't be a new player. You just have to be a pro one, you know? <laughs> I, I can't believe what I'm hearing. Okay, okay, sticking with the zoomers. Okay, I am going on TikTok, and I see who I can take there. Clearly not done. Exactly. <laughs> well, and finally, one of our biggest announcements that I'm glad a lot of people received extremely well on our Discord is the existence of our now monthly project.
0: Yeah, so this, we don't have a good name for it yet, but if you've been <laughs> listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know that from time to time, a couple times a year, we will run a poll where patrons can vote on the card of the week. And you can even nominate cards. Uh, that's one of the benefits you get from being at the Rogue Refiner tier. But everyone can vote. And it's interesting, I we get some really exquisite cards, cards that we wouldn't dare to suggest normally as the feature for a week. And the people have their say, and we end up getting to do a week on that card. So what we're doing going forward is we're going to make that a regular thing, but not just for a week. We're actually setting it up as a more long-term, more ambitious thing, even. We're going to have our community vote on a card that will become the card of the month.
1: And I think that might be the, Daph part of where we'll need the most help from you guys. Finding a card worth iterating, but not even by ourselves, which is, I think, a lovely part, by also showing by our Serum Visions podcast partners.
0: Yes, absolutely. Arun Singh, also known as Jiggy Wiggy, the grinding reach expert, and Brian Madden, they will be joining us once a month for a crossover episode with Faith Brewing and Serum Visions. Serum Visions... Is the podcast about iterative brewing? They will often take a card, like Magdo or Kinnan or Lazov, and they'll keep working on it over the span of like three, four, or five weeks. It's a slightly different approach from what we do, where we're always onto a new card every week. And there's definitely like a lot of merits to that approach as well. So we want to kind of get the best of both worlds.
1: Exactly. Like If you ever listen to the Serum Visions guys, you will know they're the guys behind Grinding Reach. He has practically built that deck out of love, So they're the master of iterating brewing. So it will be the perfect mixture of finding new axes and tuning them as we try to find the perfect build for a card that it he will help us select.
0: Yeah, and I should add that this is not going to replace our regular Card of the Week shows. This is just going to be sort of running parallel, running in the background. You can expect to hear us touch on the monthly project for like a little bit, a few minutes in every show. We have a channel set up for it in the Discord where we'll be hopefully getting people involved, getting some new ideas, maybe some testing done from people in the community as well. And hopefully over the span of a month, uh, we can make some real progress cracking the meta wide open.
1: (laughs) Or you can see us catastrophically fail as we struggle to get a single 3-2. But that's exactly. a, that's what, that's the lovely part about brewing, right? It's an experience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. So that monthly project, the first iteration of it, is kicking off next week, actually. So Emmy will be joined by Brian and Arun. It's going to start off with a community vote, helping us figure out the card. So you can look forward to that on next week's show. And if you want to get involved, joining the community at the Patreon is the best way to do so.
1: Also, just going forward, I'm banning certain cards such as Scepter from the Existence or even naming it on the Discord. Isocon Scepter cannot be named or mentioned or voted or selected or anything regarding that. <laughs> even the mention of Isocon Scepter can get you banned from the Discord, that's all I'm saying. Just so just so you guys know, so everyone knows. I, I, I'm still having, like, I tried so much to make it work and every single game I won was when I didn't draw Scepter. That's all I'm going to say. And just know that this is not a joke. You can get banned from the Discord for mentioning Isoconceptor. I'm going after you.
0: Well, the theory behind the monthly project is that you didn't spend enough time and tickets on the car.
1: No, no, no. There's not a lot of time or tickets for Isoconceptor to triumph.
0: I'm looking at the, some of the cars that are already nominated for the ballots, and you're you are going to like these, Emmy. <laughs>
1: That's uh, send me the list. Send me the list as soon as you can, but also. Uh, I'm gonna say what I always say. The best decklist for Ice Scepter is four Color Yorion and go eighty-four card with four scepter, and just never cast it. <laughs> I hope you never draw it. <laughs> That's the best Ice Scepter deck.
0: All right. So a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, me too. Dan. And it's all happening at the dawn of the new season. So we better get back to our task for the day, which is to hammer out the rest of this new Capenna set review
1: exactly so let's see where we start the beautiful one drops because dan has this completely weird and insane obsession to always order them by cmc it hasn't
0: failed me so far
1: (laughs) okay so the worst part is you order by cmc but never by color which is the exact thing opposite thing for what i would do
0: If you do them by color, you end up talking about the fives and six and sevens, just like at the beginning, and they never see any play. They just don't see any play. Okay, yeah. We didn't talk about Vivian last week (laughs) because we ran out of time, but like, is anyone going to miss Vivian? Like, yes, there's a deck that we'll build around it. If we have time today, we can talk about it, but (laughs) you're much more likely to see Goldhound than you are to see Vivian. That's my contention.
1: Okay, makes sense. So what is Goldhound then? Going extremely specific about
0: it. So it's an artifact creature treasure dog. Treasure dog.
1: <laughs> treasure dog. Artifact creature treasure dog. Come on. With three paragraphs of text. This is the new era of fashion, guys. Three paragraph common treasure dog.
0: Single red artifact creature treasure dog. 1-1. One, one. First strike menace. And, because it's a treasure, you can tap Sacrifice Goldhound, add one mana of any color. (sighs) I'm shocked. I'm shocked by this card.
1: It's so much text, and I'm happy they... Now I get why they ban Disciple of the Vault in Popper, completely unrelated. Hmm. But, yeah, this card has a lot of text going for it.
0: So do you think this is better or worse than... A card that was not a creature that did the same thing, that was just a treasure for one
1: I mean we have treasure for one, we have
0: well, you have, strike it rich, but that's not a that's not an artifact. you can't recur it oh
1: okay, okay, no, I think this if this cuts i think just being one mana one treasure, I think it's not good because it's just not good enough,
0: hmm. This is the kind of card that I just didn't think they would ever make. It's got the relevant card types.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like, being a creature is a huge downside.
0: So it's summoning stick. That's the big thing.
1: That's huge. That's what makes it, I think, borderline unplayable. But also, how far away are we from treasures not even having the line of text sacrifice at one treasure, like lands? <laughs> like, they just, they just go, treasures make mana, guys. That's how it works.
0: I would have agreed with you, but they also included a three mana treasure that does not sac for any color. Wait, so what? It's actually kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it has a, a variation on the treasure ability. You can sacrifice it and add X mana, where X is the number of charge counters you've built up on it over time.
1: Okay, I haven't seen it, and if we're going to talk about it, I'm going to rage when we get to it, so I'm going to hold my rage in that moment because of that.
0: I wasn't planning on talking about it, but it's a cool EDH card.
1: Okay, I'm going to rage for a second when we get to it. I'm just going to rage, I'm going to insult it as, as a concept, and we're going to move forward after that.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, so just finishing up on Goal Talent, I disagree that it's unplayable. I mean, by that logic, a mana dork would be unplayable. Being summoning sick is not inherently a problem. It does mean it's less exploitable. You're not going to have the infinite loops you might have if it was not summoning sick. I haven't thought through like any gorgeous synergies yet with the gold talent, and in fact this card was just revealed minutes before we started recording, but it's an exciting new printing for sure.
1: I just can't find a place for it in my mind, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some deck like the Ragdoll Sucking Pioneer actually wants exactly something like this.
0: Yeah, you have to be interested in death triggers or sacrifice triggers. Exactly. Alright, another one-drop. Cutthroat Contender, Single Black, 1-1 one, one Creature, Vampire, Warrior. Pay 1 life, Cutthroat Contender gets plus 1 plus 0 until end of turn. Activate only once each turn. So you have your 1-drop Vampire that can become a 2-1 if you wanted to. <laughs> There's not a lot going on with this one, but Knight of Ebon Legion has always been lacking oh. like a, a suitable running mate. So what you, what you end up with is a Pioneer Vampires deck plays cards like dusk legion zealot and okay gifted etherborn and then it's like okay i better play five drops let's get you know edgar in there and it ends up being like a sometimes fast sometimes clunky deck
1: that's my biggest problem with that deck now i get it exactly what you meant. i can't realize that sometimes you get aggro hands and all of a sudden you're playing three five drops on a planeswalker it just disinertizes with itself
0: Right, which is a good thing and a bad thing, but if you wanted to build a, a truly aggro Vampire's deck, I, I think Cutthroat Contender could be an important piece. So now I would have Knight of the Abbey Legion, Cutthroat Contender, maybe I go into red, maybe I'm playing Voldaren Epicure, and then my 2-drop is going to be Bloodtide Harvester, which has 3 power instead of like 1-1 one, one draw card. <laughs> you still play Sorin, and then where you go from the top there, it's not totally clear yet, but I think this... Is pushing in the right directions for a different style of vampire deck.
1: Finally, a true aggressive Ragnos deck, or mono black instead of the mid range pilot it is nowadays.
0: Yeah. Or white if you want to play the, the white. Legion F- Lord thing.
1: Legion Lord and Sodin. sorry, no, Edgar. That's what I meant. Moving on. Moving on to a weird one mana enchantment. We have. Sticky Fingers. One red mana enchantment aura, which reads Enchanted creature has menace," and whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, you make a treasure token, and when Enchanted creature dies, draw a card. So, this is Make Your Own Ragavan, right? <laughs> it even has the same Sticky Fingers, Nimble Pilferer, same flavor. This is Make Your Own Ragavan.
0: It even knows that the Ragavan is going to die, and that's why it gives you that death trigger.
1: (laughs) It gives you the card, because it has to die because it's making treasures.
0: So your creature gets a menace, so you're very likely to connect. I think the turn you cast Sticky Fingers, right? It pays for itself, if we're going to say that. Hmm. I mean, it's it's cool. Is this actually strong
1: enough? I don't know, but making a treasure whenever you connect is pretty big. If Ragavan has taught us anything... And the fact... I think without the last line of text, I wouldn't even look at this card, you know? Like, remove it when it dies through a card, and I wouldn't even look at it.
0: Yeah, my fear is that a lot of things can happen that won't trigger that, right? Exile, bounce... Yeah, yeah,
1: a lot. But you're putting this on a one-drop. It's really weird for one-drops to get bounced, right?
0: Right, and if you cast it into open mana, you could also just get blown out. So... A lot of things can go wrong with Sticky Fingers.
1: Yeah, but the effect is... I don't know. I think the upside is so big a lot of the time. I don't know. I think... Especially in slower formats like Pioneer, where you're putting on turn one tree land, is something really common. And you just go one drop into Sticky Fingers and just go to town.
0: Yeah, there's a risk-reward calculation that is similar to when you're deciding whether to actually shoplift from an actual store in real life. (laughs) Don't do it, kids.
1: (laughs) Do it. The value is always there. I'm not going to tell the time of my only theft. Oh. You guys are going to have to live with the knowledge that I once I stole something and you're never going to know what.
0: Was it a heart? Was it?
1: It was an umbrella. It was raining, so I got into the store, grabbed an umbrella and ran out.
0: No. <laughs> yes. You, like you took someone's umbrella from where they have like a thing for customers to put their wet umbrellas? Yes. You just took somebody's umbrella? Yes. <laughs> oh, now you've broken my heart now you've stolen my heart and just threw it in the trash I had my magic how collect- can you do that my
1: magic collection was in my backpack it was no. heavy raining I had to protect it I had to protect the nib
0: uh, some abuela had to walk <laughs> home in the pouring rain and she deserved how it how could you <laughs> how could you do
1: this it was a moment of impulse it was a moment of weakness I will do it again
0: no Okay, I I do not endorse this. (laughs) Just double sleeve your cards. Inner sleeves protects from this card. You won't have to... I had a lot of
1: cards, like unsleevable cards. All right. We we broke down. I broke down the card, (laughs) everybody. Okay, so going forward, to the beatdown I'm about to get...
0: So we talked about a cycle of cards that have the mystical dispute templating, that is to say, if they're targeting a spell of the appropriate color, you get a big discount on the mana cost. We talked about the white one that targets red creatures for a nice discounted price. The rest of the cycle was actually not that impressive. The black one no. kills a creature, but is kind of slow at sorcery speed. The red one, same thing.
1: The black one is like ray, but almost strictly Wars, like ray of fulfillment.
0: Yeah. Um, the green one you've got highlighted here. This is Bouncer's Beatdown. <laughs> bouncer's Beatdown. Yeah, this is what happens when you got the sticky fingers and try to take somebody's umbrella. If there were justice in the world, this is what would happen. <laughs> two in a green instant, but it costs two less to cast if it targets a black permanent. Okay, so for just a single green, if you're targeting a black permanent, Bouncer's Beatdown deals X damage to target creature or planeswalker, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. If that creature or planeswalker would die, you get to exile it instead.
1: So, I think this is actually quite good. I don't know if it's amazing. I think the white one is still the best of the cycle.
0: Well, you're saying that not... You're not envisioning you're gonna pay three mana for this. No, no, right? no. Like a-
1: no, no. I think this is like a, a pretty decent sideboard card against like stuff like I don't know, like we said in Pioneer, the mono black, the, the mono black vampires deck, where you just go any creature plus one green mana is a removal for practically anything they play, and once you get like a four for a three, 3 you can even shut down their planeswalkers.
0: I guess I'm just struggling to imagine. That I'm a green deck, and I'm worried about a black deck, and the card I choose is this, instead of anything else. In modern Veil of Summer, in Pioneer, I don't know, Shaper's Sanctuary or something? I'd rather just protect against their removal, instead of trying to... I mean, this is a conditional kill spell.
1: Yeah, the condition is a bit tough. The fact you need a creature is, I think, the biggest weakness of this card. And you need a powerful creature. Maybe I am mistaken, that can happen. And I don't know, like, I don't think, I think they're underestimating a bit, and I might be overestimating it a bit. That's probably true. So I think, like, it's somewhere down in the middle where it will see some fringe play, likely, because the card is interesting, it's really cheap for its effect, and it also exiles. Which is not irrelevant against decks, like, you might want it.
0: True. For example, if you wanted to exile the Tenacious Underdog... This is a black creature that comes back from the graveyard.
1: So Tenacious Underdog is a 2 mana 3-2 with no ability on the play, but you can play it for the graveyard for its Blitz ability. Blitz ability for one that doesn't remember, it's you play the card, it gains haste and it sacrifices on end step. And the Blitz cost is 4 mana and 2 life. So what you get is an always returning 3-2 with haste. The next step sacrifices, and you get to draw a card. And you get to cast it infin- in- infinitely. Like, it has no cost.
0: Yeah, the crucial part about Blitz is that when you sacrifice it, you draw a card. That is something that's not intuitive, right? It might seem like Dash, except Dash puts it back in your hand. Blitz, you lose the creature, and you get to draw a new card.
1: It's not when you sacrifice it. It's even better it's when it dies. So if it dies in combat, removal, or, or anything, you still draw. Interesting. Yeah, Blitz is quite a relevant ability. like Especially in cards like this one, where, where every single turn getting a 3 2 haste attacking that your opponent cannot deal with without exiling it. And, and you're also drawing a card, because you're paying 2 life and 4 mana for a bolt and, and a card. I don't think it's amazing. I think it's pretty hard to grind.
0: <laughs> so the Blitz ability in this case is double the normal casting cost. Tenacious Underdog two to cast for a three two with no text. When you're blitzing it, it's two black black for what is essentially like trying to throw a lightning helix at their face, but drawing a card in the process. The
1: draw a card is the thing that makes it at least considerable. Like, just as it's here, sacrificing to move Nixilis, and then you just get something you can keep escaping, or just escape it and sacrifice to move Nixilis in the late game when you have no creatures.
0: So, are you saying that? If I blitz the Tenacious Underdog and sacrifice it for some other effect, I still get to draw the card?
1: Like, I'm gonna read- the card is in Spanish here. Fun fact, this one is correctly translated as an underdog, not like the other one where I had trouble- underling is not correct, underdog is. Cuando um, esta criatura muera, roba la carta. Translates literally to- When this creature dies, draw a card. Okay. So, whenever a creature with blitz dies by any effect, if the creature had entered the battlefield for its Blitz cost, you get to draw a card. Okay. So that's what's amazing with stuff like omnixities, or I don't know, a Grist. I don't think this will see modern play, but... Get this back, Blitz this, Grease Sacrifice, Kill something, draw a card, and still have this in my graveyard?
0: Yeah, I'm picturing, like, Pioneer, Aggro, I might play one or two copies, because... It basically takes your entire turn to Blitz the Titanicious Underdog. And you really don't need a lot of that effect, but it's kind of like putting a cling to dust into a control deck.
1: It's yeah, it has the cling to dust effect where you always have something to do. And if I'm playing a, like if I'm playing against a mono black deck or against an aggro deck, and I'm playing control, and my opponent is starting to blitz this every single turn, it's gonna run you low on resources unless you have like something to refill, like a ferry, right? Like unless you can get a, a Planeswalker or something going. You're gonna get outgrinded by a card like this one, or at least it's gonna force you into some weird positions.
0: Well, you you could also just march of other way late or wandering emperor. Yeah, of and course, just exile it.
1: Wandering emperor is just wandering emperor. Oh, wandering emperor is so good. I love it.
0: All right, let's oh. move on.
1: Okay, Chukiada. the the owner of the the owner of the of the sword, the owner of Dan's favorite sword.
0: Yes. I'm gonna say Giada because I'm a Food Network fan.
1: <laughs> You're gonna say Giada. I'm gonna say Giada. Giada.
0: <laughs> so, Giada or Giada, font of hope. One and a white legendary creature, angel. Two, two flying vigilance. That's already pretty good stats. Yeah. Two additional abilities. First ability. Each other angel you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it for each angel you already control. Never seen that exact templating before, but...
1: No, and it's insane. It means, even by having it on board, every angel enters with at least an extra plus one plus one counter.
0: Right. And the second ability is tap, add a white, spend this mana only to cast an angel spell. Okay, so this is the real deal.
1: (laughs) This is a lot.
0: Yeah. Interesting thing we talked about during our Pioneer episode last week. So we put together a kind of state of the format primer for anyone looking to get started on Pioneer, and we talked about how Winota Joiner of Forces is causing people to play all these four damage effects, like yeah. Rending Volley, Red Cap Melee, and it's kind of a disaster for a deck like the Angel deck, which is like sort of okay. It's like a tier two, two and a half deck in Pioneer. If I could just get a Righteous Valkyrie with 5 Toughness, I would be so happy. And Yada does that.
1: And this helps really fast with that.
0: Yeah, and she's also just cheap. I mean, like, that deck played Youthful Valkyrie, which is just a 1-3. <laughs> yeah. Right?
1: The, I mean, it even has here, and so you get to attack and then tap it for mana for another Angel. And don't even make me start on the fact, what if you play this on turn 3 into a turn for Coco, and just hit 2 Angels and both end up with 3 counters, which took extra counters and just go Nuts.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, That deck would also be playing Mutavolt. Mutavolt, you just activate it. Now you have another Angel in play. So your new Angel gets two counters.
1: Small question. So, yeah, you can get your company and response to this trigger, activate a Mutavolt, or play an Angel and response, activate a Mutavolt, get two extra counters, and just go pretty big.
0: So I have high hopes for Giada. Probably a one-deck kind of card. Um, but we hope that deck gets a little much-needed boost.
1: It's also the sh- Shan Angel they used to make um, Halo. So she's like in a cave being exploited.
0: <laughs> okay, that's kind of disturbing.
1: I know, that's a lore. Like li- That's literally a flavor text. That she's the source of Halo. For the Cabaretti.
0: Right, so Halo is actually made of angels', angels bodies in some way.
1: Their energy, sort of.
0: At least they're still alive. Yeah, she, she
1: seems to be alive, for now.
0: Okay, that's good.
1: <laughs> Wanna well, keep you posted with that?
0: <laughs> Next up, Ledger Shredder. One and a blue creature, Bird Advisor, 1-3 flying. Whenever a player casts their second spell each turn, Ledger Shredder connives. What does connive mean? To connive, you draw a card discard a card, and then, if you discarded a non-land, you get to put a plus one, plus one counter on your conniving creature.
1: So, better looting. It's extremely better looting, connive.
0: Yeah, so I want to like this card, Ledger Shredder. Casting two spells a turn is more forgiving than casting two instants of sorceries. Oh, It's more forgiving than drawing two cards a turn. And we've been tempted by this stuff before, right? You've heard us go on and on about Joel Ryle, Wandwithy Reckles. You've heard us play plenty of cards that are like, okay, fill your deck with Instance of Sorceries. Ledger Shredder doesn't punish you if you just play two creatures in a turn. You still get to loot. And grow. Maybe grow. <laughs> Maybe grow. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know exactly like what the best use is. Like, Is this more of a Dragon's Rage Channeler Delver of Secrets style card, where you're actually looking to connect. It has a lot more toughness than power, so maybe it's meant to just hold the fort while you set up something like a graveyard reanimation.
1: Yeah, I think that's the goal of the card. This seems like more of a buy enough time to do what you want card while digging through your deck. Also, I love the turn three interaction, where you just go these plus a one mana spell, be a creature an instant, just to get it triggered immediately, because a two mana two for flyer that's a lot.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I think that's not bad, right? You can play Ledger Shredder and immediately play Mistress Bubble. <laughs> Your opponent will be so impressed. Now you're
1: going so far. Now, you're, now you went too far. <laughs> that, you know the line? There's a line where things make sense into the... Okay, this is not where we're heading. You went that way.
0: <laughs> I, I was also thinking, like, would I play this in Crabvine? Like, I would almost play this in Crabvine.
1: You never played two spells in Crabvine. At least in the you early. You
0: always play two sprills. I mean, you play nothing on turn one so that you can double spell on turn two.
1: Okay, so you got turn 2Ds plus Mishra's Bubble on Crabine.
0: No, not Mishra's Bubble. <laughs> okay, so this would be a turn three Ledger Shredder plus, I don't know, Gravecrawler or something, but it, it doesn't quite work out. The timing with Vengevine didn't quite work out the way I wanted to, so I shelved that idea temporarily. Temporarily. But it's it's always turning in the back of
1: my head. <laughs> Alright. This is coming from the Ox of as fanatic. Yes.
0: Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's the perfect card to discard. Exactly. That's the perfect
1: that's card. That's a dream. So, going forward, um, I'm just going to mention Corrupt Court Official. is a reprint from Portal Three Kingdoms. I don't care about the card. 2-mana 1-1 um, target opponent discards. I just think it's support it's, it's a reprint from Portal Three Kingdoms.
0: And this is the first time Ravenous Rats has been on a human. Yeah. As far as I know.
1: Yeah, it is. It is.
0: Alright, we move on. Three drops.
1: We're going to the three drops. And we have a really fun card because I love Mentor of the Meek Effects, and Rigo Streetwise Mentor even has Mentor on the name. So, Mm. we have a really weird mana cost which can be either banned or mono-white as you so desire for a three mana choo cat citizen, legendary creature. When it enters the battlefield, it does it with a shield counter on it, which means... Whenever it is the first time, it would deal damage or be destroyed. You still remove the shield counter for anyone that has played Hearthstone. That's Divine Shield. And whenever you attack a player or planeswalker with one or more creatures with power one or less, draw a card. So, yeah, play this after a creature attack. Get your first draw. The first turn you played.
0: Okay, so let me just understand exactly what a shield counter is. Okay. Because this is a new mechanic, right? Yes. New style of counter. If it will be dealt damage or destroyed. So it's kind of like a regeneration shield from destroy effects, but for damage, any amount of damage breaks the shield, right?
1: Any amount of exactly. So if this gets hit for one, like a Brennan 6 ping, you still crack the shield. Okay. Like it doesn't <laughs> have to it doesn't have to enough damage to destroy it. So it's either dealt damage or being destroyed its It doesn't get regenerated. I have seen people say this is a regenerate like shield. Nope, it doesn't get tapped, it doesn't get removed out of combat, it does nothing. It just removes the shield counter. No extra things that are not mentioned in the card.
0: Okay, so if you're blocking a Fury, the shield will get broken in first strike damage and then it will die. In... Exactly.
1: It's not going to be okay. like regenerate being tapped out and taken out of combat. Interesting. That's, I think, worth mentioning.
0: That's a very interesting mechanic.
1: Yeah. Also, the fact that it gets to stack means that there's a one mana instant that puts a shield counter on on a creature. And it's amazing with Feather because you're, you just get to stack shield counters. It doesn't remove all shield counters, it removes one.
0: Oh, okay. So okay. if you
1: get to stack them via any method, it means it will take that amount of damage or the remo- removal effects to get rid of the card.
0: Okay. All right, so that's the first part of Rego Streetwise Mentor. The second part, the part that draws cards. So this happens whenever you attack, and you can attack anyone, um, but it's only going to give you one trigger, no matter how many creatures you attacked with. Yes,
1: that's the sad part. But a
0: creature with power one or less, draw a card. Hmm. So the dream is what's the
1: dream? Tell me the dream.
0: Well, Gilded Goose comes to mind. I think David highlighted that as yeah. a card that you might play in Pioneer.
1: I don't think you want to ramp into this, especially with a Dork, because just playing it turn 3, you get to throw the card. Like, you throw the card on the same turn, right? You always get to throw on turn 3.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have an immediate home in my mind, but it is pretty sweet.
1: The Shield Counter is what pushes it overboard over other cards that would just get bolted. Like this forces your opponent to choose for one that says to get rid of it, or at least make some bad decisions.
0: Like it's an open question to me, like whether drawing a card is more or less powerful than the ability on Adeline Resplendent Cathar. That's a three drop that when you attack, it just generates another attacker. And I almost think that in a white weenie deck, you'd almost just rather have the board presence instead of a card in hand.
1: Yeah, I don't think this is like for a weenie deck looking at it, but yeah, I don't know where this would fit. It's also mono-white. I love that it's mono-white, though.
0: Yeah, mono-white. Full mono-white. Or white-green. Or bands. Not bant. What's the word? Brokers. Brokers. <laughs> or brokers. It's
1: brokers. Obscura, Brokers, Revitivers, Cavaretti, and Maestros. Thank you. I, for some reason, I'm gonna... Okay, do you remember this? The flavor in this one is so much better than Icoria. I have no way... The only, the only reason I know the names of Icoria of the five shards is because of the tree lands.
0: I don't even think that they were shards. <laughs> there is no other card in the entire set that has no, no, they, the word Ketria in it. They were
1: supposed to be shards. Like that was the f- But it just failed miserably. Interesting. But that's why okay. th- in this one they made a much better show about making them recognizable or at least knowledgeable of what they are.
0: So in the Broker's shard, the three-drop that I expect to see more play is actually not Rego Streetwise Mentor, but the next card. The next card is Lagrella the Magpie. Hi!
1: Before we started, I asked Dan. Dan, can you tell me what Lagrella does? Because I don't have the face to go ahead and tweet this card. I, I I don't understand. I I cannot swear I know what it does.
0: All right, let me let me take a stab at it. I'm just gonna confidently say what I think it does, and then if I'm wrong, someone can tell me so in the comments.
1: They're gonna tell us. Like we're gonna get the shouts out of this. So.
0: Green, white, blue. No hybrids here, just actual green, white, blue. 2-3 legendary creature, human, soldier. When Lagrella the magpie enters the battlefield, you exile one of your creatures and one of their creatures. Okay. That's my, <laughs> my version of the effect. What it actually says is for each player, you can a- exile up to one of their creatures.
1: Exile uh, any number of other tar- creatures controlled by, target- controlled by different players. Uh, Why does it say other or yeah. not one creature? By the, okay.
0: Well, you, you can't have Lagrella exile herself. That would just be nonsense. <laughs> um, so she comes in with like the brutal cathar effect, right? Until Lagrella leaves, these creatures are exiled. Okay. Why would you want to exile your own creature? Well, the second part of the effect is when an exiled card enters a battlefield under your control this way, put two plus one plus one counters on it. So that, that's a really weird templating, but what I understand it to mean is when Lagrella dies, you'll get your creature back and it comes back boosted by two. They will also get their creature back, but theirs will not be boosted. Only yours will get exactly. the two plus one plus one counters.
1: So we see the dream, right? We see the dream. Recruiter for this, Lagrella Get rid of recruiter plus a creature.
0: I mean... This is your dream. This is your dream, dream, right? right? You've manifested this. I have
1: manifested this card into existence. We just go turn four, cast recruiter. We have a violent three because why not? Sure. And then we just put in gorilla, get rid of our opponent's attacker and a recruiter. And then we get a 50 recruiter when they give out a creature and we get another gorilla. And this is not so value. They They can't get rid of it.
0: So the reason that I believe in this or I choose to believe today at least Is that the Banisher Priest effect, the Fiend Hunter, Banisher Priest, Brutal Cathar, Skyclave Apparition, whatever you want to call it, always costs three. And that's what Lagrela costs. So you're not paying a premium for that. You're getting that effect at the appropriate cost, which is three. And then you also get the option for this bonus, which is either worth board presence or possibly a card or possibly an entire Imperial Recruiter value chain. Yes.
1: (laughs) So, like, worst case scenario, you're like, I don't know, you play that orc because you're playing in a decent deck. And when you play this, your dork just become meaningless because it's an 0-1. Or you play a gilded goose that does nothing, like you went throw one gilded goose, turn 2 this to remove a creature, and you exit your own gilded goose that has no food, for example. And when the opponent gets your creature back, you get a 2-3 goose with an extra food. For example, like, that's one of the basic lines I thought about.
0: Yeah. And that's 2-4 goose. Huh?
1: <laughs> eh? You get a 2-4 goose with a food. And you- your opponent has to you- Use a removal on this. So I think that's at least something to consider when looking at this sort of card. Like, I think, like, really, mm-hmm. is pretty good, because worst-case scenario, it's almost a brutal caza, right? Because yeah. it doesn't have the flip side effect, but it's a 2-3. Th- so that's, like, the floor of the card. And the ceiling is quite high when you have any decent ETV in your deck.
0: Yeah, it's a human, too, so... It's a human, too. Could maybe put it in a human's deck.
1: Yeah, and you can just exile your own Noble Hierarch or your Talia's lieutenant, so you get an ETB if they remove it.
0: Hmm. Alright. Next card up is Endless Detour. Instant Green, White, Blue. The owner of target spell, non-land permit, or card in a graveyard puts it on top or bottom of their library.
1: Edergast for literally anything, even graveyard cards.
0: Okay, so like Aethergust, it puts the targeted card on top or bottom of the library. You can target something on the stack. You can target something in play, except for lands. You can target a card in a graveyard.
1: <laughs> this is the most versatile card I think I have ever seen, right?
0: Yeah, we talked about that Esper one, the rend yeah. last week. How does this stack up to that?
1: I think Rend is a bit more... I don't even know. Like... I- I tend to price flexibility a bit too high. Like, I, I love playing flexible flexible cards, maybe a bit more than I should, which leads to me sometimes playing a bit out of tempo. But this is just so flexible. Like, there's nothing you're going to at least buy yourself a turn out with this. Right? Like, literally nothing.
0: Yeah, I guess, I guess that's true. Gets around uncounterable effects, if that's an important consideration. I asked David about this card. David is our resident Brewmaster Pioneer expert, and he said that you know, he loves this effect. He loves the Bant colors. He loves flexibility because it lets him you know play a lot of magic. But Constructed Metagames, and especially Pioneer right now, tends to prefer very, very narrow cards that are just situationally exceptional, like those one-mana rending Volleys we talked about. <laughs> you don't find a lot of three-mana one-for-one effects, but that may change. We hope. We can hope. All right, enough of this broker stuff. (laughs) Let's Let's, let's get to the action. Let's
1: get to the action. Let's get to the Riveteers' ascendancy, or as we better call it, the Communist Manifesto.
0: (laughs) The Communist Manifesto?
1: Just look at the card. Look at the flavor. Everything the Riveteers do is so...
0: So the Riveteers, their flavor is what? They're like really strong unions, right? They're the
1: unions of the city, exactly. They're the workers. You can see that in almost every card, they're just like the union of workers of the city. Even the Flare we are the city, down to its bones.
0: Good for them. Good this for is them. The, the Amazon Amazon workers <laughs> in Staten Island. Good for them.
1: <laughs> so, Rivet Deer's Ascendancy. It's a three mana enchantment a black, a red, and a green, so shunt colors. Whenever you sacrifice a creature, you may return target creature card with lesser mana value from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Do this only once each turn so what do we hope to bring back well in modern i wanna like as soon as this guy got spoiled i got a message in my discord pms by, by by a friend of mine a patron of mine someone that's always on my stream that just went i have this three years descendancy deck here look at it and it was exactly <laughs> what we consider like season Pyromancer, grief fury doing exactly what you think it would do the dream of just playing the Ascendancy, playing evoking a Fury, getting back a seasoned Pyromancer, and just going off. Evoke Elementals work particularly well when any, with anything that says sacrifice a creature.
0: Yeah. I mean, the trigger is very strange, right? Whenever you sacrifice a creature. And the cards that do that... Well, you, you don't want to pay mana to sacrifice creatures. You want that to just happen for free. And evoke is by far the best way to do that. So in modern... I would expect to see Fury, Grief, Croxa, maybe Fulminator Mage? Is that going too far? I
1: think Fulminator Mage, like, it's not going as far as Mithra's Bubble <coughs> in the other card. But I think Fulminator Mage is sadly a bit underpowered. Maria, or stuff like the 5-3-3, like in the cyborg, the 5-3-3 that you pay a red, to destroy an artifact. chewer. Exactly, thanks. Stuff like that comes at a premium with Rear Tears Ascendancy. Just in your on turn 3 and get back like a grave, it's a lot of value.
0: So, there's a card from Strixhaven called Rushed Rebirth that's black green instant. I love that card. It lets you, it's very similar to this, but instead of taking a card from the graveyard, you search your library from the creature. And I always thought that was almost good enough with the Evoke Elementals. I wonder if you could also pair that with Riveteer's Ascendancy, because then you can help, like, build the chain in your graveyard so that you keep getting these sacrifice chains.
1: I think you might be right, because when I tried Push Rebirth, I ran into, I, I played a Push Rebirth deck more than once, in silence, because they never got to anything. <laughs> they were, like, fury like so fury into Omnath, you know, me just forcing the dream.
0: Are we not going to see this Rush Rebirth deck in the YouTube channel? You might. These are the league, Leagues of Shame.
1: <laughs> the Leagues of Shame. The Leagues of Shame have been concealed in the dark. Like, I don't even remember them fondly.
0: <laughs> Mortalite to Light imprints Rush Rebirth onto Isochron Scepter. <laughs> watch a man... More to Light has conceded from the
1: game. <laughs> y- you can watch a man's like, life fade from their eyes as they <laughs> Isochron Scepter something. So, yeah, this might... Like, the problem with Rush Rebirth is you had to play it alongside a or an effect like that in order to have a decent amount of consistency. Mm. And your ascendancy might be just that in the shun color, so you don't have to go into white. Yeah, maybe. But you also have Shrake as a two mana removal that gets back any further or more three drop.
0: Yeah, I mean that, that sounds great. I wonder like how deep we're supposed to go. You can also just play good cards, like Grist the Hunger Tide is just a good card that let, lets you sacrifice creatures.
1: Exactly. I think you should be playing a good Synergistic Shan deck with Grief, Fury, Grease, um, and alongside some value cards like Shri Igmo, the sideboard. Like you should be playing a strong Shan strategy with good with synergistic cards and not just an all-in-combo on real Tears ascendancy, right?
0: Mm.
1: Also, from time to time, your opponent's gonna make you sacrifice stuff, like your opponent's gonna play a Liliana of the Veil and cry at the face of Real Tears Ascendancy.
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> I suppose so.
1: <laughs> That's about to happen eventually.
0: I'm going to sacrifice Culture Familiar to Witch's Oven, trigger Raveteer's Ascendancy, get back Esmo, the chef. <laughs> the chef. I don't know. I mean, this is so interesting. This is one of the few cards that is a build around that doesn't really work in Pioneer. It's just too slow. But in Modern, the tools are there to make this immediately impactful.
1: Yeah, the fact that you can go just... If you got, like, a way to put stuff in your graveyard on turn one or two, or just, like, turn four after a seasoned Pyromancer reveteers into Fury or Grief, it's going to give you so much tempo back. Like, if you reveteer Ascendancy on turn three into a Fury and get back a Chudrop or drop, you played it for free. Like, it's tempo neutral. Mm. And that's sort of insane, and an enchantment that's going to give you long-term value.
0: Okay. Alright, I'm coming around.
1: I- I'm on this card. I think this is a card worth testing. Like This is, I think, one of the best cards I'm going to propose us to work with.
0: Uh-oh. <laughs> the best cards are one of the most interesting cards.
1: Uh, inspiring cards.
0: Inspiring cards. Okay, I can live with that.
1: So, then we go to the widespread theft. Widespread thieving. Yes. Look how it gets corrected out of nowhere. <laughs> Thank you, Magic Hans.
0: We're recording this on, like, the day that the full spoiler went up, and there's, there's a bunch that I have not updated the rough <laughs> translations to the actual translations.
1: Widespread Thrift, Widespread Theft, and Widespread Thieving are so close it shouldn't even... Ba- like, it's 99% the same. It even has the same concept.
0: <laughs> Alright, so the highway mechanic is back.
1: Sort of? It doesn't... Okay, so 90% of hideaway mechanic is back, which reads, when this enters the battlefield, look at the top 5 cards of your library because it's hideaway 5, exile one of them face down, and that's what happens. But this doesn't enter tapped as every single other hideaway card in the history of magic for some reason.
0: Yeah, I haven't looked at the rules notes yet, if this is actually a change to hideaway, or if this is just because it's an enchantment. They didn't put that on here. I
1: think it's because it's an assignment because it would be a huge buff to other Haraway cards unless they also get the Rata, which would be weird. Hmm.
0: All right, so we have a card hidden away on widespread thieving. How do we unlock the card?
1: Exactly. So, w- first of all, whenever you cast a multicolor spell, you make a treasure token, which is not meaningless. You are getting back one mana from every multicolor spell. And then, whenever you play a multicolor spell and get your treasure token, you may pay Booburg, one of every color, and if you do, you can play the exile card for free.
0: Hmm. So this is one where you probably play this because you want treasures. You can't really count on getting anything off Hideaway. Like, it's a nice bonus, but...
1: I think you count on that you're gonna get a card out of... Like, you're not trying to cheat something from the Hideaway, Right? It's like, oh, look at okay. five, draw a card. You're like, okay... okay. In the late game, I might get a removal spell or a... You also can cheat. (coughs) You cannot cheat into play, but put place walkers, speed into play BRDs or stuff like that. But I think you're just hoping to get something like a 3, 4, 5 mana spell that is not going to be too tempo-negative to pay after you do. Like, you're doing this mostly for the treasures and the upside that you're going to draw a card out of it. And you're going to Eurion Need and draw another card, but who who should say that?
0: So would I be wrong to put this into a Niv-Mizzet deck?
1: I don't know if Niv... Uh, yeah, but that's a cool, yeah. Sort of a Niv-Mizzet deck, where this also really helps with the fixing. Like the fact that you, after you cast a Lightning Helix, you get a spell Racer to use otherwise. It's pretty big. But yeah, that's exactly what I'm hoping to see with this sort of card. And then you just pay 5 mana for your Niv. That you draw your heart away.
0: Widespread thieving is definitely one of the most affordable ways to repeatedly generate treasure. The trick condition is kind of tough, casting multicolor spells, but...
1: Maybe in a Rokirik deck.
0: Okay. General Ferris Rokirik. Yeah.
1: Yeah? And then you just start going hard. I mean, the fact you can go these into Omnath, make a treasure, fetch, cast two spells, make two treasures, or stuff like that that's pretty common with Omnath...
0: Yeah. Alright, let's move on. More multicolored cards. Crew Captain. Black, red, green. Creature, human warrior, 4-2, haste. If Crew Captain entered the battlefield this turn, it has indestructible. So, that's it. 3 mana, 4-2, haste, that's indestructible on the turn that it enters. So you're going to get 1 hit in. Well, you'll get 1 attack in. Whether it gets balanced or exiled. I can't promise you anything like that. <laughs> to me, this card is like almost good enough. Like, maybe it's because I'm very old. I used to play Vyashino Sandstalker back in the day where we would just be thrilled to play three mana for a 4 2 haste every single turn.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I think this is the boomer that I'm looking at the power creep in Magic. Like, this is you <laughs> not realizing that I don't know what Rashino does.
0: Oh, no. Like, this is <laughs> t- devastating.
1: I know this is devastating news, but I forgot the second word you said after Biagino, so I'm calling it Biagino, because I don't know what the first one was. What the second one was.
0: Sandstalker? No. Oh my god! I think I
1: drafted something similar in Modern Horizons 1.
0: <laughs> okay, how about Shatter Skull Charger? Does that do anything for you? you know, this is a Shatter Skull Charger. You no, know it does
1: not. Oh, well, sand Sandstalker is bad.
0: We better move on.
1: <laughs> There's also cat throw, so it's like a set of Viacinos that are the same. That's cool.
0: We'll move on. Move, okay, <laughs> fine, fine. We'll move on.
1: Wait, wait. What about a 5-5-3 five five that is a destructive and has haste, but only during that turn? It's shan colors plus 1. <laughs> Crew
0: Captain is not that bad. No, no, we Crew Captain Balgaret is Ram Ramgang in the past, and this is way better than Balgaret Ram Ramgang.
1: Crew Captain is a good card. I just think I don't think it's playable. Like three mana 4 two haste is not good enough nowadays. I think.
0: Okay, okay, okay. All right. <laughs> Next up, Raku Cabaret <sighs> Cabaretty Caterer. I almost said Cabaret Caterer, but. That- that can't be right.
1: Yeah, I was... I was... That's not a... Guy. This is not a cabaret got Caterer. <laughs>
0: okay. Rocco Cabaretti Caterer. Naya colors, or Cabaretti colors, rather. X, red, green, white, legendary creature, elf, druid, 3-1. When Rocco Cabaretti Caterer enters the battlefield, if you cast it, you may search your library for a creature card with mana value X or less, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle.
1: So, this card hurts me deep to my soul, because of the... if it, <laughs> it, it says if you cast it, whatever something says if you cast it, it just attacks me personally, you know?
0: Mm, yes. Like, you
1: can just remove that close, let me look, like, if I blink it, let me get zero drops. I'm not gonna break it by looking at Raya Alvarez. Maybe I am.
0: Right, so that's what makes this card even moderately interesting, is the fact that X is allowed to be zero. I'm actually surprised that X is allowed to be zero.
1: I'm quite shocked at that, I I agree. I didn't even realize when I read it, I just assumed it wasn't allowed.
0: (laughs) So you cast this for three, and you're allowed to go grab from your deck a Dryad Arbor. You're allowed to grab an Asmora. You're allowed to grab a Memnite. And that's about it, actually.
1: I I (laughs) I think you finish at Asmo, right?
0: Yeah, Asma. Asmo's actually good. I mean, I've cast Finale of Devastation for Asmo with a straight face. <laughs> it wasn't a good plan, but it worked. That becomes a 3 for 1 with Rocco. This
1: is 3 mana, 2 bodies, a 3-3 three three and a 3-1, plus get a cookbook, plus has Asmo ability, plus the versatility that you can cast this X equal 4 to get a third ability if sometimes you're insane.
0: I mean, now that you put it that way, that's... That's, like, sort of good enough, yeah. right? Three mana for six power. I was
1: hating this card for a second, and then I'm, like, maybe... Like, every sentence I say, I'm, like, a bit more enthralled by it. Like, maybe I'm just showing the Cavaletti the for the food. That's a flavor actually, everybody. <laughs> Very um, nice. I don't know. It, like, now that I said Asmo, I'm i intrigued. Like, it all of a sudden, I went from memeing... To not quite as beaming.
0: I'm with you on this. I'm with you on yeah, this. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's... Okay, yeah.
0: All right, let's keep that in mind. Let's keep that in
1: mind. This is something worth brewing. Naya colors are a bit annoying. But we have a tri- Naya Triumph now, so...
0: Naya is not the natural home for Esmo, that's for
1: sure. No, but you can play red and green. That's pretty common. And you can splash softly white, like a teeny a t- a t- a t- a bit. A, t- a tiny drop of white.
0: Right, like I've played... With a straight face, finale devastation for Asmo in a Vengevine deck with like, <laughs> you know, maybe that's the way to do it. I think I know th- you're laughing, but I'm actually dead serious. <laughs> I
1: know, I know, but what, what I mean is like, I'm I'm liking the card. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about decks, and just the fact like, I'm pondering the three mana play, and it's pretty cool. I don't know if I would play a playset of these, but it's also amazing as Asmo redundancy. Like, you're paying one mana mm-hmm. for a th- for a three, three, one with versatility to get other stuff. Like, if you're playing in your cyber something like a cyber piece like you might get or is this is also four mana get a three one and a ragaban i don't know okay yeah like you can play okay. that in your asp- okay yeah i like it okay i like the card now fuck it all of a sudden i like the card
0: <laughs> now we're cooking now we're cooking <laughs> we're catering we're cooking
1: <laughs> we're catering for the audience or- we're catering to you guys to our audience
0: All right, so if you don't like the sound of 3 mana for 6 power, can I interest you in 3 mana for 4 power? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Generous. (laughs)
0: I'll just read this card. I think I'm the only person who actually likes it. Mage's Attendant, 2 and a white, 3-2 cat rogue. When Mage's Attendant enters, you also get a 1-1 blue wizard token. The wizard has pay 1 sack the wizard counter a non-creature spell unless the controller pays 1. So for me... A rogue and a wizard on the same body is enough to like get me to buy out all of covetous prizes from all the dealers I can find and try to make this party deck happen. I talked on Friday about my concept for black-white party with the Extraction Specialist. Mage's Attendant is also in that deck.
1: I think you just love this card because we love white interaction. I love white-getting-stack interaction. There was no need to make us pay one to sacrifice the creature and get a mana type. If they just removed that cost from the token, I would actually maybe like this card. But that's just... Ah, no need.
0: <laughs> so that's Mage's Attendant. Next up, Nimble Larcenus. Tell us about this one, Emmy.
1: Okay, so I really like this one. Nimble Larsonist, 3 mana 2 1 bird, row. I know you like that word, then Row. I do. <laughs> you can even get a coveted price for it. So, it's a <laughs> white, a black and a blue. So, expert colors, three mana, two, one flying by rogue, which reads, When it enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose an artifact instant or sorcery card from it and exile that card. So, a much better scene collector in the fact that it has flying, which is a huge upside, maybe worth half, half a mana. And also the fact you can get artifacts, which make it a lot better in some, in some matches where a scene collector would do nothing.
0: All right, I'm on board with all of that. When was the last time anyone played Syn Collector? Like, what deck would actually use this?
1: Esper, Value in Pioneer, and Enigmatic Incarnation in Pioneer both play Sin Collector.
0: Enigmatic Incarnation?
1: Yeah, okay. it always plays Sin Collector.
0: And Esper, like, what, Esper, Yorian, just a bunch of ETB stuff? Exactly.
1: Okay. So, Sin Collector saws there, play there in enigmatic in the main deck in the value bytes in the sideboard and this is like a straight upgrade because both decks can pay the blue, right? because we're talking about Esper and enigmatic so the downside is really negligible
0: next card up is another 3-drop Corpse Appraiser this is in Grixis colors or Maestro colors if you prefer Thanks. blue, black, red creature Vampire Rogue 3-3 when Corpse Appraiser enters the battlefield, exile up to one target creature card from a graveyard. If you do exile a card this way, then you get to look at your top three cards. One goes to your hand, two go to the graveyard. And that effect is actually like pretty good. That's strategic planning. That's yeah. Ransack the lab if you are a black player. <laughs> um, getting that on a 3-3 body that's a vampire, okay. It's not amazing, but it's not
1: bad. It's a lot of text. Like, it's a really useful ATV. I think... Okay, no. For some reason, someone had said that you had to exile a card from your graveyard to get the effect, and that's not the case. Yeah, I
0: I think I double-checked this one. Um, I'm pretty sure the English version confirms.
1: Yeah, I I just checked. Yeah, it works exactly like that. Like, you can exile a creature from any graveyard and get the effect.
0: So that's actually pretty easy to do, but maybe not on turn 3, and that's the only thing that's maybe giving me some pause here. If I want this to be my 3-drop, and I'm, I'm not willing to play it without getting the card, so maybe I can't play it on turn 3.
1: I mean, the, the fact that you can get a creature from your opponent's graveyard makes it a lot better for me, because my turn 3, either you kill a creature or a creature you has died in like 90% of matchups, right?
0: Well, I hope so, but I mean, you, you never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, your curve out hand, one drop, two drop, three drop, the idea is that, the, the dream is that they didn't answer that.
1: Yeah, and... but the dream is the unlikely scenario. Like, a creature tends to get answered mm. answer by turn three. Or even by your, by your attack on turn three, when you go with a one drop and a two drop. Or you played a more reactive game, your opponent played a one drop or a two drop and you killed it. And then you go with this for your two for one. I think in most scenarios, we're fine.
0: Alright, we're going to scroll down here past the glittering stockpile that is the treasure that is sending Emmy into uh, a haze of rage.
1: <laughs> Why is there a treasure that doesn't sacrifice for mana? Okay, going down. I mean,
0: It kind of does, but yeah. But it okay. doesn't. It should going, have its ability down. at that seat. On to the four drops. Oh, we made it to the four drops. Alright.
1: Yeah, we're not about base.
0: Big score. Big score. Big score. <laughs> So Unexpected Windfall, except instead of costing 2 red red, it costs 3 in a red, so it's slightly easier. Does (coughs) that matter? It doesn't matter a huge amount. It means that it's easier to do the Galvanic Iteration line, you don't require as many red sources.
1: I think it's just a straight upgrade. Like, a straight, almost meaningless upgrade. But an upgrade at that, or redundancy in case you need it. Now you can play 6 copies, 8 copies if you want, without making any sacrifice.
0: Yeah. All right. Nothing more to say about Big Score. Let's talk about Falco Sparrow, the Pact Weaver.
1: Okay, now we have some stuff to talk about, I think. So, Falco Sparrow. Band and a one, so four mana, legendary creature, Bird Demon. It's a 3 3 flying trample that has three lines of text. First, when it enters the battlefield, it does so with a shield counter on it, so it prevents the first instance of damage or destruction it takes. Secondly, you may look at the top card of your library anytime. And finally, you may cast spells from the top of your library by removing a counter from a creature you control, in addition to paying their other costs. So you get a future Sight effect on a three-three flying trample, which requires you to remove counters in order to cast spells.
0: So is that a pure future sight? You can cast any type of permanent. You can cast. You can play lands.
1: No, you cannot play lands. You can't play. But lands. you can cast spells from any type. Yes, it doesn't have a restriction on the spells.
0: Okay, you do pay their costs. You pay their costs, and additionally, you remove some counter.
1: So, what do we want to do with this? Is there something we want to do with this?
0: Well, the two cards that come to mind are Wall of Writs and Devoted Druid.
1: And uh, keeping a... A Gilda's Gift on a Planeswalker. A Gilda's Gift on a Planeswalker, so removing loyalty counters.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, so Falco does not naturally let you take counters off planeswalkers. It requires you to take counters off of creatures.
1: Yeah, I think that's a huge downside. If it had been any stuff, I would like it a lot more because you have planeswalkers, you have gemstones, you have stuff. that you can force. So,
0: a little bit concerned that 3-3 Flying Trample is not big enough. Specifically, it doesn't survive lightning bolts. And that's where, in modern, you're going to find more of these counters that you actually want to remove. Yeah. Like, the Persist mechanic the Devoted Druid Wall of Ritz style of card.
1: Devoted Druid is a pretty insane strategy with these, Just letting you a mana each time you got something. But yeah, I think it's not easy enough to add counters for its upside. Hmm. But we'll see.
0: I'm thinking of something like the Bant Neoform deck that was actually the very first deck we ever brewed on Faith is Brewing. <laughs> episode 1 years ago. <laughs>
1: I don't think I have even looked at that episode. I'm not going to lie.
0: Don't, don't, actually, don't look, no at, it. look at it. No, I'm going to look at it. The audio is horrible. I'm opening
1: Spotify, as we speak.
0: I'm going to actually, I'm going to delete that episode right now. I'm
1: I'm already on Spotify. <laughs> you got to delete it before I upload it.
0: No, I'm deleting it right now. Stop, stop. Somebody cut his power. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm, guys, I'm downloading this and uploading it to the Matrix. Oh my gosh. We're keeping the episode safe.
0: Well, while Emmy does that, <laughs> um... Let me tell you about what, what I meant. So before Yoggmoth was, was a thing, I was interested in Young Wolf, Group Geist, and Neoform to just get beatdown creatures into play. Taking off the plus one plus one counter from an undying creature is actually advantageous. What we've seen is that the Yoggmoth builds have paired the undying mechanic with cards like Wall of Ritz to go in a slightly different direction. But somewhere in there, there's like a powerful core of stuff to do. And if you ignore black and play white instead, as I was doing in those Bant Neoform decks, yeah, I could imagine myself playing a Falco.
1: <laughs> did Did you ever look at my Neoform? Um, what's the name of the two mana two one from? And um, Stormcaller,
0: Seagate Stormcaller. Ne-
1: yeah, Neoform Stormcaller and Neoform and Seagate Stormcaller piles.
0: I don't think I've seen those. It
1: was like. You just get a form in play, 4 mana, or a violent 2, and 2 mana. Get a color in play, Neoform it, and either get stuff like Double Fulminator Mage, or Spike Feeder plus Heliod gives you infinite life through removal, because Spike Feeder has 3 counters instead of 2.
0: Oh, that's right. Okay, I remember this now, yes. Yeah,
1: the weird pile. But yeah, it, that sort of finds a place there, it seems like a card that could fit in there. Okay. My Monkey Style, Defeat Style, Neoform, Inagro, and Combo, May 13, 2019.
0: Just for the record, when we started this podcast, the friendly leagues and competitive leagues were separate on Magic Online. Okay. So the way to know that you are a true Spike Rogue was that you wanted to take your brews into the competitive leagues where you could get them published. The friendly league did not get published.
1: <laughs> really? <laughs> a little bit
0: of Magic Online history for you. <laughs>
1: I didn't even know the leagues were split. Like, when I started playing Magic Online in 2020, I think, they were already just one.
0: Oh my gosh, you're such you're such a newborn babe. <laughs> what
1: happened to you? I just got stuck. When I started playing Magic Online, it was like, no, no, we only have this league. i show you. You have this.
0: It was actually really great for a brewer, because gave you a clear goal to strive for the deck dumps were not very large and you very very rarely saw spice in them because the people who were playing spice often just chose to play the friendly leagues which is why a you know, random five zero with niv-mizzet which was episode two of our podcast could like spark a deck that just might not have happened you know if it had been a year later and the leagues were merged it would just be like oh another one-off 5 deck okay Anyway, a little bit of Faith is Brewing history there for you. But don't listen to the episode. Um, it sounds utterly horrible. 12,
1: 12 megabytes out of 64 already downloaded. Faltan 4 nope. minutos.
0: <laughs> no.
1: I'm going to listen to it for All right, it. let's... Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so going to Emmy the Troublemaker, or Jaxis, as I'm annoying, Dan, today.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Emmy the Troublemaker, also known as Jaxis the Troublemaker.
1: 300 for a... 4-mana 2-3 legendary creature human warrior which reads red and a tap, discard a card, create a token that's a copy of another creature you control it gains haste and when this dies, draw a card so it keeps, it me bleeds to a copy of a creature you control and it gets sacrificed at the beginning of the next end step, activate only as a sorcery why are we liking this card, a 4-mana 2-3 that has to survive to tap down And because it has Blitz itself, which means you can pay three mana to get a two-three that you can tap down, make a copy of a creature you control by discarding a card, and then you get to draw another card. And then the Shaxis is going to die to itself. I mean, it sounds a lot more complicated than it seems. It's three mana, draw two cards, discard a card, make a copy. That's it.
0: (laughs) I think this card is extremely complicated. Even hearing you simplify it, I'm like... Okay, so I'm blitzing it in, but I'm not attacking because I'm tapping you're it. You're blitzing, copying a creature, and I'm drawing a card, but I'm also discarding a card. But then I'm drawing a second yes. card.
1: So you're, co- you're you're blitzing it in, you're copying something, and you're discarding a card. And then your the next step, you're going to get two triggers of one from Jaxxus and one from Blitz, where you're going to draw two cards.
0: Okay, so I discarded one, I drew two, exactly, and I lost Jaxus.
1: And you got a token. Yes. And you got a token.
0: Hmm. so you you believe in this card I don't think I see this
1: I th- I don't know like I think it's pretty decent the fact that you can also just hard cast the card and have a repeatable Kiki on board I think there's mm. something to it I don't know quite what it is yet I- I'm just living the dream of just turn 3 doing this and copying a fury you know evoking a fury and copying it because you know, it's this is doesn't work like a sorcery, right? You can blitz it in, then do something and then copy. You don't have to do everything together.
0: Copying a season pyromancer sounds kind of interesting. Yeah, and
1: you get like the draw two, discard two, and instead draw one, draw one. You can even discard the last card in your hand to copy a season and draw two from that, because you discarded two the And then you draw two so you end up with four cards in hand.
0: All right, next card up is a Wrath variant, Depopulate, two white-white sorcery. Each player who controlled a multicolored creature draws a card, then you destroy all creatures. Somewhat similar to the card Shatter the Sky, where each player who controls a creature with power four or greater draws a card, then then you destroy everything else. Sorry, not everything else. Then you destroy everything. So it's a Wrath that gives a card back maybe. Why does that matter? Well, it's possible, it's possible that you yourself are playing multicolored creatures, like Icefang Quattle, for example, oh, yes. and this actually becomes a wrath that draws a card. Um, and that's the only reason I think you would ever consider this over something like Supreme Verdict.
1: Oh yeah, you have to be playing cards like that. You need to be playing multicolored spells yourself, multicolored creatures, or this is automatically disqualified. I really hate the fact it's not multicolored itself. Hmm. This could have been easily a white and a green, or a white and a blue, or a white, or even like the false payments you had before. Like this is a a hybrid black white and a hybrid blue white. I don't know. Just allow me to have this in a, as a multicolor spell somehow.
0: I think if it was multicolor, that would make the Niv Mizzet widespread thievery deck too powerful. <laughs> 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 They'd be like, why spread thieving, ice fang, draw a card, make a treasure, depopulate, draw a card. Draw a card,
1: make another treasure.
0: <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I initially dismissed this, but actually the more I think about it, the more I'm starting to see like it actually could be an upside.
1: Yeah, I think it's mostly upside because you only play it when it's upside, right? You want to play this in your deck if it doesn't have upside, you have better alternatives. All
0: right, next up. A multicolored creature. Mm. <laughs> Obscura Interceptor. Yeah, a multicolor Flash creature. Okay, got the Slitherwisp deck going again. <laughs> one white, blue, black, so four mana total. Three-one Flash Lifelink. Cephalid Wizard. <laughs> Cephalid Wizard. Hey, that counts for your party.
1: Cephalid has not been seen in a while. I think as a type. I haven't seen it in a while.
0: They don't look like the classic cephalids. No, it looks I gotta say. it looks
1: a lot more human.
0: As a dinosaur who's lived personally through, like, four <laughs> redesigns of slivers, <laughs> I'm upset by this.
1: No one cares enough about cephalids. They are not slivers.
0: <laughs> Alright, so you're paying four. You're getting 3-1 Flash Lifelink. When Obscura Interceptor enters the battlefield, it connives. And not only does it connive, that is to say, draw a card, discard a card, and possibly gain a counter. In addition to conniving, it also returns up to one target spell to its owner's hand. So kind of weird templating, but that means it only affects things on the stack. So it's kind of like Venser, Shaper, Savant. Comes in at flash speed as a pseudo remand slash counter spell effect.
1: Yeah, also important thing, because of how it's written, you might assume that if it doesn't get you connive, it doesn't bounce. It doesn't matter, they cannot kill it in response to to stop you from bouncing something. Just because of the... I have seen people get confused about that because of how it's written.
0: Yeah. It's not immediately obvious why they separate it out, but it has two consequences. One, it means that if they somehow fizzle the second effect by sacrificing the thing you target... That doesn't apply here, but in theory, that could happen to a different card you'll still get to connive. And two, you actually don't have to choose your target until you've connived. So you get to draw your card first, see what it is, discard a card, and then when you've finished doing all that, that's when you put the second part onto the stack.
1: Yes. So lifelink is huge. This can be a format of to flash in a lot of scenarios. Flash lifelink, which is a really good stabilizing tool.
0: So David has a nice note here about Obscure Interceptor. He said he hated it at first. It's like a worse Frilled Mystic, and that card already sees no play. Yeah. But then he noticed that, okay, if a tempo deck struggles against aggro, then this evasive lifelink flyer might actually be like the right set of abilities. And then if you can add into the mix something attractive to loot away, and he came upon the card Silver Smoke Ghoul, Silver Smoke Ghoul will come back from the graveyard when you gain three life. And that's exactly how much power Obscure Interceptor has.
1: So that's a fever dream. Your opponent attacks with a 1-4. You flash this... Your opponent attacks with a 1-4 and then plays a pump spell. You flash this scene. You discard a goal. You counter the spell and block. And then you get the goal back. Clearly, not many steps required. Really easy to achieve consistently. The dream is alive. (laughs) We're going forward.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Alright, it's perfect. (laughs) <laughs> I love 4-drops. See, this is why we don't talk about 4-drops until the end <laughs> of everything. <laughs> you criticize my system. It makes total sense.
1: Okay, not mainly, I like the card. I, don't, I think the fever dream of playing with, with gold is a tad too dreamy. I think this as a tempo shell, or I think this as a value card, is pretty insane. That's my take on it.
0: Okay, that's a reasonable take. All but the most degenerate brewers have stopped listening like half an hour ago. <laughs> so, so we now we can dream big, right? We for got, the four, five, and six. We drops. can go
1: for the three person are still hearing us. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> and you're gonna hear us talk about are we going for Ognis?
0: Uh let's not do
1: Ognis. It's not. And you're gonna hear us talk about the fleet foot dancer, just a big adorable dork. Simple. See, this has almost as many words as the car that laps from the past, just five times more powerful.
0: Fleetfoot Dancer, one red, green, white, four four, trample, lifelink, haste. Elf Druid. The only thing I want to say about Fleetfoot Dancer is that I was having a debate a couple weeks ago about whether. Cars that overperform in limited are relevant to constructed. And David was making fun of me. He said, Yeah, adult gold dragon week. <laughs> Bring it on. And guess how many times i played against adult gold dragons since then? Once. In the leagues. Twice. Twice. Once <laughs> make... in a soul flare deck. <laughs> I... But once in modern, in actual modern league last week. You cast five old. An opponent summoned the adult gold dragon with Sarkon fireblood. He five
1: modern. <laughs> More than once. And it reminds me of the phrase, how many times have you played against Adult Cold Dragon? If I had a dime for every time I have played against Adult Cold Dragon, I would have two dimes, which is not a lot, but it's strange that it happened twice.
0: I mean, that's enough to buy several copies of Adult Cold Dragon. (laughs) That's enough to buy all the copies of Adult Cold Dragon. (laughs) Anyway, so Fleetfoot Dancer... Is an even cheaper version of Adult Gold Dragon. Yeah. The combination of Lifelink and Haste is extremely powerful.
1: Also, Trample against the decks that are going to leave back a Champ Blogger when you're starting racing them. So, it's a 4 mana 4 4 Trample Lifelink Haste. It's kind of shows how powerful, um, what's the name of the card that has all the text? The 4 mana 4 4 Questing Beast was, how many paragraphs it had of text.
0: Well, I actually like this better than Questing Beast. I mean, is that crazy?
1: I think like, I think this is better because... I mean, we're playing this in different decks, right? We're playing this as a way to stabilize, and, like, change the tempo of the game, and you're playing Questing Beast to finish the game. Right?
0: So there's an interesting dynamic when a deck like Naya Winota or any kind of creature deck gets paired up against an even faster creature deck. Because typically the, the Naya deck didn't have anything that plays defense that well while also playing offense well when you're up against control and Fleetfoot Dancer just lives in yeah. just the right space right? It's
1: really weird it's, re- it's hard to stabilize against to beat like aggressively a 4-4 he- lifelink is really hard to beat on combat
0: <laughs> Yeah how was a red deck ever going to come back from this? Well they might I don't know <laughs> but
1: <laughs> and then, They may double bolt it I don't know but you're going to two for one them to say the least like, th- I think the card is extremely relevant
0: all right, so that is the last of our four drops. Exactly, and with that we move on to the fives.
1: We're getting there, everybody. We're getting to the big. We're we're getting to the best card in the set. Just give me time. Give us time. We're close. We're we're, we're close to her, to our loved one.
0: Urbresk Heretic Praetor, three red red legendary creature Phyrexian Praetor, four four Haste's classic Urbresk stats. What does this Urbresk do? At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library you may play at this turn. Hmm, so a little howling mine effect. (laughs) We boomers call that a howling mine. At the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, the next time they would draw a card this turn, instead they exile their top card and they have this turn only to play it. So for your opponents, they also have to play under these conditions. No more hoarding cards in your hand, no more playing instants on my turn if the opponent draws an instant with Ur, Brask, in play, they just they have to cast it immediately. If they draw a counterspell, it's almost dead.
1: Exactly. The only part I hate about this is the fact it says the f- the first card they draw. Right? Okay. Because if this had been every single card, the problem is if your opponent just draws a draw spell, or a cantrip, or a placewalker, or has any way of drawing cards that more than one, this gets nullified.
0: Hmm.
1: That's... My problem, like, if they have like a, I don't know, a Narset and they can just news, you're not getting what you want out of it.
0: So there's a lot of options at 5 mana, 4-4 four, four Haste in red. Talk about Goldspan Dragon, Glorybringer, Questing Beast if you want to go to 4 mana. <laughs> there's a lot of options. So the fact that this is has those stats is not anything special. I do think that when it is in play, it will overperform, kind of in the same way that Vorinclex overperforms when it's in play. That being said, I'm not sure it's better than even, like, a Storm Breath Dragon. I think Storm Breath Dragon's probably pretty good in Pioneer right now, uh, even though Urbrask would, in theory, be a nice tool against uh, a mid-ranger control deck.
1: Yeah, maybe it's enough. I don't know. I just think it lacks something, you know? Like...
0: It lacks an ETB. (laughs)
1: <laughs> For me, always, everything locks an TV. But besides that, maybe the capability of semi-locking your opponent by making it every card, maybe having some sort of in the matchups against not control, maybe flying or something like that. Yeah. Like, it's missing a bit, like something.
0: All right, Urbrask, when you find that, that special something, <laughs> come back to us next set.
1: Come back to us, and we can talk about it then. Yes. But yeah, disregarding that, I think we can go to one of I think a card that you really like.
0: Elspeth Resplendent. You promised the best card in the set was coming. And I actually don't know which card you're referring to. So, is it Elspeth? I'm not sure. Let's find out. Legendary Planeswalker, three white, white. Elspeth comes in with five loyalty. She has a plus one, a minus three, and a minus seven. Okay, so the plus one buffs a creature. It says choose up to one target creature, put a plus one, plus one counter on it, and you also get a flying, first strike, lifelink, or vigilance counter on that creature. Two counters go on the creature, which is nice if you have Luxior or Giada's gift, for Uh,
1: example. We talked about this this on the last one, saying that Elspeth just gave herself three, three, plus three every turn, and that's exactly why she gets the loyalty counter, the plus one, plus one counter, and an extra counter of your choice.
0: Exactly. So that's the plus one buffing creatures. The minus three is the one that is worth a card. Now, on a five mana planeswalker, I need this to be worth more than just drawing a card. I need this to be like a removal spell or something that's actually worth mana and a card. So let's see if Elspeth stacks up. Her minus three says look at the top seven cards of your library. You may put a permanent card with mana value three or less from among them onto the battlefield with a shield counter on it. The other cards go on the bottom. That's kind of nice.
1: That's kind of nice. It can get your removal sometimes, like it can get you a Skyclay apparition, or it can get you something insane, like at the ferry to bounce something, like it can... S- it might be able to even protect itself, because of how efficient that is if your deck is built around it. And I just realized for the first time, I can't believe I never realized that it enters with a shield counter. I keep that segment of the text.
0: It's not clear like why they put that on. No, there.
1: no, but it's so concealed. And because the line of you might put a permanent card with Value three or less from Among them on the Battlefield. It's just so common. I just whenever I re- start reading it, I just skip to the next line. So I never read the with a shield counter.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I said it needs to be better than drawing a card. This does clear that bar. Um it casts a spell, it gives you a little bit of selection. The shield counter might be worth uh, I won't say it's worth a card, but it's worth something. However, if you play Elspeth, she comes in on five, she minus threes to get a card, and now what's, what do you have left? You have a three drop, potentially, and you have an Elspeth on two. The Elspeth on two is not super impressive. The plus one is like a little weak.
1: You have a bit better than the three drop because of the shield counter. I, got a, I, I think that really pushes it a bit overboard. I mean, oh, not overboard. It pushes it a bit forward because the fact That if you get something like, I don't know, they cannot destroy your planeswalker planeswalker, or they cannot go through your champ blocker. If you get something like a skycliff with a shield counter, it's not easy to get to Elspeth after you remove a creature and they have to use two removals on your blocker. Okay. Like, it sort of made a change for me how I see the card. There's also always the dream of getting like a seasoned pyromancer making three bodies and protecting the Elspeth, but who are we to dream like that?
0: Yeah, my only concern is that having an Elspeth is actually just not worth that much. It'll take her another turn to tick up once, yeah. and then if you want a minus three again, you've lost your Elspeth. It's like kind of like a really slow, collected company.
1: She should have entered on six. Just let me minus, plus, minus.
0: Or just minus, minus. Maybe that's too strong. I don't know. I don't know. think that's too strong.
1: But yeah, that's that. I think that would have made her even good. Like, we are discussing playable, that would have made her even good.
0: Finally, there's a minus seven. Create five three three white angel creature tokens with flying. So if you're not interested in minus three, you can plus plus. go for the quick ultimate. And that's actually a lot of creatures, right? That's 15 power worth of angels.
1: Yeah. Five 3-3 three instead of three five fives shocks me. When talking about angels. Right?
0: Why? Does it shock you? Angels are not five-fives.
1: Angels are not three-threes.
0: I think they're three threes. These are
1: four fours.
0: Often they're three threes.
1: Angel tokens are 4 four fours, and angel angels are five fives. Lira, 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 and Lira, and Lira, and also Lira, and the one I can and mm. Gold, and dragons, demon slayer, range. All the good angels are five fives, and all the tokens are 4 four fours. Why are these three
0: Can I check on this right now. Three three white angel creature token. How many results will I find? True. Linval the Preserver, okay. Book of Exalted Deeds, Elspeth, and Soul of Emancipation. Okay,
1: yeah, they started making three threes. Of, yeah, okay, you're right. The last expansion started making three threes.
0: I guess that's fewer than I thought. I thought there could be a no, lot no. more no,
1: no. Well, angels are four force historically. Like
0: angels, tomb, resplendent, Marshal, resplendent angel, emancipation angel.
1: The tokens, the tokens are four force historically. Like before I started playing, they become three threes in. Core twenty, you're right. With the three mana three three, then when you gain fair life, you get a three three token. I think. No, you get a four four token. Even the three three angel makes four four tokens. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just surprised me. I didn't expect uh, right. it. But
0: the truth is elusive. Any other thoughts about Elspeth? So my initial thought when she was actually one of the first cards previewed, my initial thought was Carth Super Friends because that's yeah. Where my mind goes, but that's not actually a good deck. You noted Heliot as a possible deck.
1: I think it's a Heliod, deck, the best shell, because you're already playing company. Like this can be a good top-end where they would sometimes be playing something like Archangel of Tune. Thun? Hmm. I don't know how to pronounce. Um this helps you dig for your combo, allows you to stabilize via lifelink, which lifelink is really relevant in that deck, like giving something a lifelink counter at SAP, something like Audio Champion with a lifelink counter or a first rate counter. I think it's Good. Huh?
0: All right, we move on. <laughs>
1: move on to Evelyn the Covertus, the Covertus, the Covertus, Evelyn, the Vampire Rogue. 5 mana 2-5 is 2 blue and a black, a black and a black and a red, so Grixis colors are mono black. 2-5 Vampire Rogue with Flash, which reads, when it enters the battlefield, or another vampire enters the battlefield under your control, Exile the top card of each player's library with a collection counter on it. And what do we do with the collection counters? Once per turn, you may play a card from Exile with a collection counter on it if it was exiled by an ability you control, and you may spend mana as if it were of any color to cast it. So when it enters, or whenever a vampire enters the battlefield, you exile a card from each library, and you get to cast them while Evelyn is in play. Why does it have their really weird templating if it was exiled by an ability you control? So you don't start mixing stuff up with your opponent's Evelyns. <laughs> because if you play an Evelyn and your opponent plays an Evelyn, there's going to be cards Exile with collection counters from both players because both Evelyns exile from both players. And it's going to get really weird if you can cast from what your opponent exiled previously. Like your opponent plays an Evelyn, you kill it, you flash in your Evelyn and play what your opponent exiled the turn before.
0: I feel like the play design team has seen every future and they're like very afraid of the timeline where it's Evelyn versus Evelyn all over the meta game. They're like we got to do something.
1: We got to stop that time. It's going to be pure chaos if everyone has Evelyn. I think the reasoning was the chance of an Evelyn be Evelyn in future is really slim, but even the possibility of it scares them. Like let's just avoid it, you know? Like why even risk it? It's so it would be so chaotic. Imagine handling that on MTGO. How do you show who exiled what?
0: I think it would be more interesting if you could just cast off... That would make Tybalt and Karn a much more interesting if you could cast off your opponent's silver counters.
1: <laughs> I mean, it would be, but it would be so chaotic. Like how would I f- It would be so unmanageable.
0: Sure, sure. Well, returning to the question of which timeline we're actually in... Is Evelyn good? I I look at this and I see 2 5 flash draw 2 cards with a potential to draw even more cards.
1: I don't think it's good. I, my, it doesn't draw 2 because you have to keep it alive to draw the cards.
0: But future copies of Evelyn can collect.
1: Yeah, but it's 5 mana, so you need Evelyn to survive and tap. And you can only play 1 a turn, so it's not like you play an Evelyn, it dies, and then next turn play another Evelyn, play the 3 cards you found. I think it has too many restrictions. She has to stay alive. You can only play once per turn. The once per, <coughs> per turn <coughs> is, I think, the biggest one. Because if I could go, I don't know, turn five Evelyn, get two cards, and then turn seven on my one set step Evelyn, because they kill the first one, find two extra cards, then I have four cards in extra and I could play them on my turn. That's a good line. But the fact that I can only play one?
0: <laughs> I mean,. For five mana, we can bring to light for Tybalt Cosmic Imposter, which has extremely similar ability. Yeah, right? exile the top card of each player's deck. Now you're thinking, okay, Tybalt is way better, but Evelyn is an actual creature. It's got more solidity, a little more realness <laughs> and she to has it. Flash. You can play it with. She has flash. You could build a different style of Sorin, Imperious Bloodlord. If you if you're tired of Champion of Dusk, you can play Evelyn instead. The ability to play multiple vampires with an Evelyn in play is enticing. I'm greedy, but this is a card for the covetous, the greedy <laughs> players like me.
1: I like the Maestro. I, I like the card, but my problem is they once per like they once per turn, once each turn. That's that's what makes the value lines that we dream of just seem clunky.
0: Hmm. All right. Moving on. <laughs>
1: We have thermo- we have Thractus at home.
0: Is this Thragtas at home, or is this just better than Thragtas?
1: Oh, well, I did. anybody just hear what he said. I think that
0: I'm asking the hard questions here. It's not better. It's it's late. We're way over a lot of time, so I'm gonna ask the question: <laughs> Is this better than Thragtas? No, and I'm gonna say <laughs> the people demand answers. No,
1: because of one really specific line. Dice.
0: Oh. Okay, we better read the card then. <laughs> Workshop Warchief, 3 green green, rhino warrior, 5-3 trample. So it's like a thrag Tusk, but it gives trample. When Workshop Warchief enters, gain 3 life. That's less than 5. Okay. When Workshop Warchief dies, create a 4-4 four, four, green rhino warrior creature token. That's bigger than a 3-3. Three, three. Yeah. And on top of all of that, you get blitz. So blitz cost is 6. Blitz... Means you're allowed to play it with haste, it gets to attack, it will then die, and when it dies that turn, you get to draw a card.
1: So you either have a 5 mana 5 3 that gains you 3 life and holds the line till it dies, or you pay 6 mana to draw a card, gain 3 life, and play a 4 4. So it's a 6 mana 4 4, gain 3 life, draw a card. Like that's the other side of it.
0: So you're saying worse than Thrag Test because there's no blinking shenanigans to be had.
1: No, not only blinking. If this gets bounced, mm. you get nothing. If this gets exiled, you get nothing. Like Thakas has with Thakdas, you know you're going to have to get your block. Right?
0: I see what you're saying. I also think that three life is just like not quite enough. A lot less than if, five. If you're in a yeah. matchup where your life total is under attack, three life is not quite enough. So, probably a miss on Workshop Warchief, which is strange to say, because it's just pure value.
1: It's just pure value. Maybe, like, I don't maybe it will see play, but I think Resurrect is better. But it's for Pioneer.
0: Both have for your Behemoth Beckoner, oh. if that's of interest to you. That's <laughs> really fun. Old Growth Troll does that too, so.
1: You just dash these, draw three cards, bleeds, draw three.
0: Exactly. Alright, enough enough five drops, silly cards.
1: Can we go to the card we're going to prove with first? At least I am. Which card is that? We're going to Vivian of Vivian on the Hunt. Really? Oh. On the Hunt? Okay. We're naming.
0: She's on the hunt? She's on the hunt.
1: So Vivian on the Hunt. Six mana for a double green for a legendary policewalker Vivian enters the battlefield with four loyalty counters. I'm gonna skip the first ability for last because I think it's the most relevant so the second ability is a plus one mill 5 cards then put any number of creature cards millisway into your hand so lose the stampede so the plus one is a three mana sorcery and the minus one create a 4-4 green rhino warrior token so she doesn't have an, an ultimate, she doesn't have an emblem but the most important part is the plus two you may sacrifice a creature, if you do, search a library for a creature with mana value equal 2-1, to 1 plus the sacrifice creature's mana value. Put it on the battlefield, then shuffle. So the plus 2 is literally birthing port, right?
0: So it has to be exactly 1 higher than the creature you sacrificed.
1: Birthing port as well, right? Yes. Okay, perfect. I have never played with port. So where does this lead us? Why is this so relevant? Why is just a simple port effect so amazing? And that's because um, of. Plainbound Accomplice, if that's rename, if I'm remembering them correctly.
0: Yeah, that's the one, Plain Bound Accomplice.
1: Exactly. Plainbound Accomplice is a 3 mana 1-3 that has the ability for a red. You put a Planeswalker card from your hand onto the battlefield, and then you can pot with this Planeswalker. So you have the amazing line of 4 mana, which can be turn 3 even, or turn 2 with Arbor the First Topia Sprawl. You are able to go Playman Accomplice, pay a red mana, Put in a Vivian, and with the plus two, you can go get a Felidar Guardian. Felidar Guardian also is any permanent, so you blink your Vivian, and you get to activate again. So you sacrifice your Felidar Guardian, and you get a Karmic Guide, which, who would have said so, brings back Felidar Guardian. And you get to blink your Vivian again, which allows you to sacrifice your Felidar Guardian to get a Kikishiki, which you can then tap to copy your, your Karmic Guide, You get back your Failure Guardian for the third time from the graveyard. That Failure Guardian keeps dying and returning. To bounce your Kiki and win the game. So it's Splinter Twin at home. (laughs) Exactly. All of that to say, we got Twin at home.
0: So the crucial card that makes the entire chain work is Failure Guardian. That's the only card that can blink a Planeswalker. That means that Vivian on the hunt is just not going to be a thing in Pioneer. I mean, you can play it there as just a, as a value card, activating once a turn. But if you want to do this instant kill, you need Felidar Guardian. That means you have to go to Modern. You also need Karmic Guide. Doesn't You don't specifically need Karma Guide. You could play Young Necromancer if you really wanted Why to. Why is Young Necromancer? Don't look it up. It's it's a pioneer legal version of
1: <laughs> Karmic the en- Guide. Young Necromancer is from one Horizons.
0: It is? Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. So this is just not for Pioneer. Do not play Vivian in Pioneer. (laughs) You will be disqualified. (laughs) You will be disqualified on multiple counts.
1: This is for MH2?
0: Let's stick with Modern.
1: Yeah, this is a Modern.
0: Felidar Guardian is legal, as is Young Necromancer, as is Karmic Guide.
1: Especially Karmic Guide.
0: (laughs) All right, so if you're thinking... What's the big deal, another two-card splinter-twin combo? Well, the truth is you don't need Plainbound Accomplice. Any three-drop starts the chain. It's just that Plainbound Accomplice allows you to do it as a surprise on turn four.
1: There's also the fact, really interesting fact when I started reading the card that I noticed. Vivian does not target with a plus two. So that means if you went turn three Season Pirate, you turn from playbound plus Vivian, you're gonna get a failure out of it.
0: Hmm, interesting. Oh, I see what you're saying.
1: So, if you have any 3-drop in play, you're keeping your BBM through a creature removal spell. Okay. And that's really relevant, because it means at least you get a 6 mana up in out of the deal. So, if your opponent kills it, if you go season Pyromancer, you have a playbotacombless and a Season, and your opponent has no idea how the combo works, you win. If they kill a 3-drop, you win with a plus. If they kill a Felidar, you keep your Vivian, that is new. And if you have a second Felidar, you can try to combo again. Or you can just start plussing.
0: So what else is going to go in this deck? I assume I want the option to just cast Vivian. I don't want to have to draw Bond Accomplice. Maybe I do, but I don't think so. So I think I just want to play like Arbor Elf, Utopia Sprawl, Season Pyromancer, maybe Blood Moon. If I'm playing Felidar Guardian, maybe I want Sahili Rai as well maybe I want Eska's Chariot that works nicely with Vivian's Rhino Tokens.
1: Yeah, I don't. I think you're playing more of a Naya Shell.
0: Naya Shell? Okay.
1: Yeah, it's just a Naya value shell playing Felidar playing good TVs. Okay. But I think that's exactly what you're hitting because you're going to play a lot of blink effects because you have Karmikite, you have Felidar Guardian. Imperial, Gar- uh, Imperial Recruiter gets you every single part of the combo, Felidar, Playmore Accomplice, todo.
0: Well, you don't want to draw Felidar, right? You you need to specifically draw Vivian and Plainbone Accomplice. So it's it's an A plus B combo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Two cards that we typically don't play, and you need to draw both of them. And that that's what's a little bit tricky about it. I need to convince myself that Vivian, by herself, is a fine card. And so that's why I'm thinking I should put Mana Ramp into the deck.
1: Yeah... I think you should not. I think just having 4 Plane Bound, the fact you can turn for Plane Bound, you are on an El Ambriskol, and Imperial Recruiter Colors, the only hard card to find is the Vivian.
0: Oh, it's not about finding it. I think I'm just going to find it too often. I'm going to draw this 6-drop and be like, oh, great.
1: <laughs> I-, I mean, finding Plane Man Accomplice seems easy enough.
0: Okay. Uh, all right. Fair enough. So that's going to do it for the 6-drops. Let's just scroll down here, see if any... Oh boy, we have a 7 and an 8. Alright, real quick, the 7 drop.
1: <laughs> really, really quick, we have a 7 drop, which actually, we have an 8 drop as well. I, I didn't realize we had a, an 8. So we have this 7, which Primaeval Titan players are already wanting to play because it's a 7 mana sorcery green spell, green creature spell, which is Titan of Industry. I'm in love with the artwork of this card. 4 and triple green for a creature elemental, with reach, trample, and when it enters the battlefield you get to choose 2, you cannot choose the same one twice You either make a 4-4, you put a shield counter on a creature you control, you gain 5 life, or you destroy target artifact or enchantment So this can be a 7-7 plus a 4-4 plus 5 life, or a 7-7 with a shield counter plus destroy a tar- an, art- an artifact or enchantment Or gain 5 life plus a naturalized effect on a 7-7 body, with reach and trample
0: or a rhino. Did you mention the rhino?
1: Or the rhino. Yeah, I mentioned the rhino, but I don't think it's the most common thing you will choose.
0: Really? I think that's the most common thing for sure.
1: I think it's the gain 5 life and naturalize. Or maybe it's 5 life less rhino, yeah. Like, 5 life less rhino. Or maybe it's the, I mean, against non-white decks, I think 5 life plus shield counter is amazing.
0: Alright, so 7-7, seven, seven, reach trample, and you get some stuff when it enters. Yeah. When it enters, so you can do blink and stuff, but I think the real challenge will be getting this into play. Yeah, yeah. We're probably talking just about pioneer. I think that the conclusion in modern was that other stuff is better in Amulet.
1: No, I think they came to the conclusion they wanted one main deck, but it was like, like it started with a real, it started with a real conversation, and then someone mimed with Sakama, and it just went downwards. <laughs> <laughs> <So> when whenever <laughs> someone mentions Sakama, and the players just go insane and they stop debating.
0: Well, I mean, the Amulet players, they come up with all these scenarios for like why Primeval Titan wouldn't be good enough, but this random card, and they show you the worst creature you've ever seen, <laughs> this random creature... And they
1: show you Colossal Redmo.
0: <laughs> ...is the only card that, you know, does something. So that's why I don't think they're actually serious. But in Pioneer, it's a real question whether Titan of Industry is the best card to cheat into play. It's competing with Jinkataxius, It's competing with Agent of Treasury. It's competing with Coma Cosmos Serpent. Mm. Um, I find this like slightly worse than those, but I could be wrong. It's possible that it's slightly better, depending on you know what exactly your deck is vulnerable to.
1: It really helps you stabilize, like the 11 body power and toughness.
0: Yeah. So, looking at reanimating this, looking at transmogrifying for it, and finally. Oh, wait, we finally reached the end.
1: So before for anyone that's still here, that's four people, that was afraid we were not going to get to the 60-minute mark. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs>
0: that's a blatant lie. That is a blatant lie.
1: That <laughs> was afraid we weren't going to get to an hour, and here we are.
0: That's the opposite of what happened. I've said in the entire history of Faithless Brewing, we have never gone under time.
1: Never. Not once. <laughs> it's not going <bound> to happen. <laughs> So, meeting of the five.
0: Three. Wuberg. That's three. White, blue, black, red, green. Gosh, how did this card make it in here?
1: I don't know. You choose it.
0: <laughs> you, you put a star next to this. That means you want to talk about it.
1: I didn't. It wasn't me. It was you. No, I started other stuff. Oh. Well,
0: somebody did this. We don't know who. <laughs> I guess the top ten cards of your library... You may cast spells with exactly three colors from among them this turn. Boy, okay. I guess all like your top ten. So kind of like Niv Mizzet Reborn, except for instead of looking for two color cards, you're looking for three color cards. Three color cards or shard cards, wedge cards are eligible to be cast. You also get to add ten mana to your mana pool: two white, two blue, two black, two red, two green. Spend this mana only to cast spells with exactly three colors.
1: So, the dream is, as someone mentioned in the Discord, you go turn 4 short Arcs Mage, into turn 5, meeting of the 5, plus cast 2 ultimatums with the extra mana.
0: Alright, now I have to look up what Dota Archmage Eternal does.
1: Allows you to cast spells by paying booburu
0: 4-3 flying. Oh, it's a 3-color it's a card. Yeah. It's eligible. Okay. You may pay f- 5... Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, that sounds cool. The problem is that without Jota, Meeting of the Five does not let you cast any ultimatum. Like, every ultimatum has at least one color that requires three pips, and Meeting of the Five does not give you three pips of any color. <laughs> and, like, that is just so tilting. <laughs> like, I understand that it's not a requirement, but it's just so tilting that I could reveal ultimatums and not be able to cast them yeah, it's off a- my eight-mana sorcery.
1: It should give you ten mana in any way you want them.
0: Please. Please. <laughs> All right, so am I going to ramp to this? Am I going to cheat this in?
1: I think you want to combo into this with Shota or something like that. Like, that's the only scenario. Like, paying eight mana is a lot of mana. Okay. And I mean, unless the ultimatum wins you the game and you can just go pay eight mana, find a Shota, and an ultimatum.
0: All right, so somebody, we don't know who mark this as a card that we must discuss. That is my thoughts and Emmy's thoughts on Meeting of the Five.
1: Which is actually at least an, inter- an inspiring card to say the least. Like, it's a lot better than other stuff. So...
0: The Shard Niv is it. That's a perfect place to bring everything full circle.
1: <laughs> Why can't Niv grab Shard? Like, if only Niv and this could work, I would love it.
0: That would be too powerful with the widespread thievery <laughs> deck.
1: How can we stop the thievery deck?
0: I mean, that's another way to cheat this in, right? Why hide away yeah. hitting a meeting of the five? Okay,
1: yeah, we're going deep.
0: Oh my god. Oh my god. All right, we better stop. If we've given this all we could, we better stop. <laughs> so that's going to do it for part two, the final installment of our Brewer's Guide to Streets of New Capenna. Final thoughts, Emi. What do you think of the sets?
1: I like it. I think the power level is a bit lower than usual, but I think that's also a good thing. I think not a lot of cards should enter into a modern format from each expansion, especially when Modern Horizons exists nowadays as a concept. So I like it. I think there's enough cards to playtest. I think there's enough concepts to at least look at without going insane. And yeah, I'm happy with that set. I'm glad it is how it is. I like the flavor. I'm just hoping we can crack some stuff out of it. And it's not too underpowered.
0: I'm glad that the release of Nuka Pena coincides with Renewed Interest in Pioneer because I think it would be a stretch to like get a lot of modern decks out of these cards. Yeah, Because it's a three-color set, I think they just put a lot of cards in here that cost three mana or more. That's the quickest way to get a th- three-color card is to make it cost three or four. And those cards are just going to be such an uphill battle in modern. In Pioneer, it's unclear. We're going to be testing a lot of these cards and we're going to find out.
1: I think in modern, like, some cards will see play. Like, I'm not... I think they will not spring new archetypes. Hmm. But we will see new... Cards will enter play. Like, Lagrela is is a good card. Um, Yeah. Rivetier's Ascendancy is a brilliant round that's really interesting. Rocco, we are going to go into that. We know that now after we discuss it. The Esper cards can lead to a really good Esper Reanimator shell.
0: I like Luxior, I like Obnixilis. I mean, there's cards, for sure.
1: Obnixilis. Exactly. There's gotta be a movement in Modern. Like, it's gonna cause some ripples. Vivian. Yeah, Vivian in the combo. Like, we are going to build 5-6 decks around it. Like, I'm happy with this. Let's just hope we can make something nice.
0: Well said. So on that note, we're gonna call it for today. Emi, thank you very much.
1: Oh, thank you very much, then. Have a nice night, everybody. <laughs> Or whatever time you're hearing it, come and I stay.
0: Yeah. If you're looking to wind down, don't forget to check out our brand new YouTube channel. Link is gonna be in the description. Or go find Emmy streaming on his on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Light.
1: With that being said, bye-bye everybody! Bye-bye!
0: That's a wrap on this edition of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Tune in on Friday for our new Capenna Top Tens and our first brews of the season. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. If you like what we do, you can join our community at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. And come find us on Twitter, YouTube, and anywhere the gathering happens. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.